against you all the things that you've done wrong now listen i realize there's some of you here you're like that's why i believe in jesus yes praise the lord and there's other of you who are like you know i just don't want that from god god will not make you believe it but you need to figure out what are you going to do for your transgressions your iniquity and your sin and i'm here to tell you humans have come up with a million things to try and fix that stuff and i'm here to tell you no matter what you do you can't fix it When your kid makes a huge mess, you don't stop loving them. Even if you're frustrated, your love isn't diminished. When we're making a mess of our lives, God doesn't stop loving us either. Pastor Daniel will take us through this Psalm of David where David brings his sin into the open, acknowledging his mistakes in front of God. Unconfessed sin hurts. It keeps us from true relationship with God and even manifest physically. Today, we'll be challenged to consider what we're holding back and confess that to the Father. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, A Sad, Happy Song. Let's jump in. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll break it down into points. So Psalm 32, verse 1 said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, and and through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place and shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You can see why I've called this a sad, happy song, because it's got both sides of the coin. Now, look at what it says first. In verse 1, it says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now you notice the twofold repetition of blessed, blessed, blessed is he, blessed is the man. Now, in some of your translations, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, one of the ways you can translate the word blessed is, oh, how happy. Right? Oh, how happy. It's another word, a synonym for blessed. And what this teaches us is that Jesus makes us 
happy. Jesus makes us happy. Now, I think this is important for a number of reasons. First off, we live in a culture that is bent on happiness. And I'm here to tell you, that's a good thing about our culture. I mean, would anybody want to live in a culture that is bent on being unhappy? Anybody like, hey, yeah, that sounds, let's be unhappy all the time. So the human search for happiness is a good thing. Because if you're going to get one shot at life on this side of eternity, might as well be happy, right? But the rub is, or the problem is, or the issue is, is that our culture's attempts at happiness does not take into account what makes a person really happy. And so when you seek to be made happy by things that could never satisfy your soul, then you become even more unhappy. Does that make sense? When happiness is the goal and everything you try to be happy doesn't work, your unhappiness is greater. Because you're seeking happiness through these avenues that will never satisfy. Now, you and I know we've all tried a million ways to be happy. Can we just admit that? Happiness at the bottom of a bottle. Happiness at the end of a joint. Happiness at a certain socioeconomic status. Happiness by buying a jet ski or a lake house. Happiness at being married. Happiness in kids. Happiness at the bottom of a box of ding-dongs. Whatever your thing is, we've tried a million things to be happy, and all of us all of them, although maybe give a temporarily temporary boost of happiness, doesn't really make us happy. Because you know what happens when you find happiness by buying a jet ski? Then that thing breaks down. Or gas goes up to like $10 a gallon. Right? Or, oh, I need a trailer. Oh, I need a new car to be able to pull my jet ski. Oh, I'm not knocking jet skis. They're fun as all get out, you know? But then I need to find a place to keep it. And then, oh, it's got this and it broke and I got a diaper in the back of it and it's all messed up, you know? (laughs) See, seeking happiness is just human. But wisdom comes from seeking happiness where only happiness can be found. There is no wisdom in trying to find happiness in everything Wisdom is saying, this will truly make me happy and seeking hard after it. Now, I said that Jesus makes us happy. Why? Look at what it says. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Now, notice this. There's two words. There's two blesseds. There's three types of rebellion against God. And there are three ways that God deals with it. Notice the types of rebellion. The word is transgression. Then the word is iniquity. And then the word is sin. So you have transgression, sin, and iniquity. Now, most people would say that this is just synonyms. But if you're really stringent on your interpretation, transgression is an act of rebellion or disloyalty. Sin is an act that misses the mark, which is often intentional. And the idea of iniquity is a crooked or wrong act, and which is often associated with a conscious or intentional intent to do wrong. 
So all three of them are acts of rebellion. It's just a matter of what are the little nuances of the word, right? So all of us do those type of things, right? All of us have acts of disloyalty against God, against ourselves, against humanity. All of us miss the mark. And all of us sometimes are just premeditated and getting at being evil. All of us have that in our lives. But notice, the blessed person, the happy person, is the one who each one of those things, notice the three acts of God, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So the idea here is these three acts of human rebellion can all be rectified or fixed by God. And God does it, again, if we were being technical, each one of these words means something different. So the idea of being forgiven is an act of the removal of sin or guilt or the remembrance of sin. Who It's being covered means the idea of it's being purified or washed over and does not count or impute the idea of God holding it against your account. Now, you see why I would say that Jesus makes you happy? Because it's impossible to be truly happy until all of our acts of rebellion are dealt with. And you and I know, although David didn't know when he wrote this, that all of this was going to take place in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who forgives our transgression. He is the one who God covers our sin through his blood. He is the one that although we fell because God gave all of the punishment for all of our mistakes to Jesus, he does not impute it to us. That is why for 2,000 years, people have celebrated the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus does what you and I can't do on our own. And God said, look, the debt that you have is too great. It's too big. And I am going to forgive, and I am going to cover, and I am not going to hold against you all the things that you've done wrong. Now listen, I realize there's some of you here, you're like, that's why I believe in Jesus. Yes, praise the Lord. And there's other of you who are like, you know, I just don't want that from God. God will not make you believe it. But you need to figure out, what are you going to do for your transgressions, your iniquity, and your sin? And I'm here to tell you, humans have come up with a million things to try and fix that stuff. And I'm here to tell you, no matter what you do, you can't fix it. No amount of good deeds, no amount of charity. Listen, it's I love the fact that in a culture like ours where there's some people who have extraordinary amounts of money, that guys like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Mark Zuckerberg, they're giving lots of money to charity. But I'm here to tell you, that's a wonderful thing, but that will never atone for all the mistakes anybody has made. No amount of financial giving, no amount of self-sacrificial service for anybody can truly pay the debt. It's not possible. So as much as I applaud them for doing it, that's a good thing. I'm here to tell you that you can't buy your way to forgiveness. You can't do it. And for many people, they've tried. And that's what religion is. Religion is how do I buy back my good standing with God? That's what religion is. You might be saying, oh, well, (laughs) Christianity is a religion. And I would say, You're right. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus who are still trying to buy their forgiveness back from God. But that is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says, listen, you can't do it. 
And your happiness comes through the finished work of Jesus. And because of the finished work of Jesus, there's nothing you can do to keep that or secure that. All you can do is say yes and seek to simply respond to Jesus. Not one of us on our best day can say that we have sustained our relationship with God. God does it for us. And you might be saying, well, that demeans humanity. No, that actually shows the worth of humanity. Because some people want to say, listen, if God has to do it for you, it means you can't do it yourself. It's like, "Uh uh-huh. But God sees humanity as worthy because he created humanity and loves humanity. He's saying, look, I care so much about you, I'm going to do the work that you can't do. Kind of like a parent with their kids. My little daughter, Annabelle, she's so cute. She's seven months old. She's already crawling and scooting. She's pulling herself up. But guess what? She can't walk yet. But she's trying. She's got all that wobbly legs and you know, the diaper padding bum. It's so beautiful, you know. And as a parent, I know she can't walk. So I put my hands down and she rolls. And she feels, you just, with the drool, you know. And we say, you're doing it. You're doing it. (laughs) Right? Now listen, she's not really doing it, right? But we love her enough that we're not going to let her face plant, are we? Yeah. It's a perfect analogy. Because that's exactly what God is doing with you. And God is doing with me. If you'll simply hold on. Say, Lord, okay, I'm holding on. And yet, you're drooling. And you got junk in the trunk. (laughs) And sometimes you spit up on somebody and ruin their shirt. But what's amazing is, and and, and any parent knows this, when my little daughter, we call it the anointing in my house, when I get the anointing, it's so disgusting, but I am so blessed by that little girl, right? And that's how God feels about you. If you're in Christ, he's holding, he's holding you up and he's letting you do things you never could have done. And sometimes we make a royal mess, but he still rejoices in who you are. I don't just be like, oh, oh, my daughter spit up on me. I am not talking to you for two weeks. <laughs> Can you, I mean, that, that would be a horrible parenting. But listen, that's why Jesus makes you happy. Because you can't even seek to be happy until the big, the big, big issues in your life are taken care of. And this reminds me of, of course, Psalm 34, verse 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. That's what God invites each one of us to today. To taste and see that he's good. That you'll be blessed if you trust in him. Now listen, for you gals, you notice he, the man, the man. This was written at a time before there was like gender language issues. Okay? So if this was written today, it would say the person or the human. But back in the day, they weren't worried about all that the way we are now. So don't think that it's only like this is like a guy thing and God doesn't really like girls. None of that. Okay? You just have to realize when it was written, I believe if the Bible is written today, it would use more uh, gender-inclusive language because we're struggling with that in our culture. Or some of us are, and some of us probably should be, maybe. <laughs> you know? But it was written a long time ago, and so when it says he or the man, it means the total of humanity. The idea of the word man is the word Adam, which everybody comes from, 
the idea here. You know what I mean? So, so if you struggle with it, struggle no longer. It was written a long, it was written a while ago. It, it doesn't it not include women. So Jesus makes us happy. Now look at what happens in verse three. And this is going to be important for us. We talk about happiness. Notice what it says. Verse three. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, though my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Now, what does this teach us? That unconfessed sin hurts. Unconfessed sin hurts. Notice what he says. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. See, David is writing about his own struggles. And he's saying, look, I kept silent. I did not confess. And because of that, there was this experience of the sapping of my energy, my vitality being like the drought of summer which, given that it's August here in the Pacific Northwest, your lawns are feeling the drought of summer right now. See, the only way to get out in front of the acts that keep us from true relationship with God is to be real and honest about them. See, for a long time here, David is not acknowledging who he is and what he's done. He is not confessing. And the word confessing literally means to agree with. That's what it means. So when we confess our sins, it's saying, I agree with God that this part of me is not right. Now, the reason we don't confess our sins, of course, is because we feel shame. We are uh, scared of the consequences of those decisions. We Sometimes we don't actually think that they're sin. But I don't really believe that. I think deep down... Because God reveals who he is. I think deep down we all really know. We just don't want to own it. And really what we're saying is, God, you're saying that's wrong. I'm I'm just doing it. And really what David is getting at here is the reality that it's not just a spiritual dilemma when we sin. It has physical manifestations. And maybe the most terrifying thing is when you can live in rebellion against God and you don't feel it anymore. Why? Because that means your heart is totally hardened. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about their conscience is seared with a hot iron. He's saying that there can be a place that humanity gets to where no matter what rebellion we do, we don't feel it anymore. And I'm here to tell you, that is the worst place to be. So if you're here today and you're reading this, you're like, man, I got some unconfessed sin. I can feel it. I would say, confess your sin and praise God that you feel it still. Because that means your heart is still open to the work of God. But for some of you, last night was a crazy time and you made all sorts of mistakes and you don't even think it's bad anymore. You're so given over to it that your heart has gotten hardened. And I'm here to tell you, if that's you and you're here in this, you need to say, God, please soften my heart. I am not feeling it anymore. I am being deadened to my rebellion and my relationship with you. See, unconfessed sin hurts. Listen to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. 
He's saying, look, if you are not willing to drag your garbage into the light, you're not going to prosper. But if you will confess and acknowledge it, mercy is yours. Now, I listen. Again, I love this about the Lord. God doesn't expect any of us not to have issues. He just simply expects us to be humble enough to say, God, I realize I have issues. I realize I do. And I'm going to own my issues. I'm going to say, God, this is who I am. And I'm going to agree with you that I am not what I could be or should be. But, Lord, I'm giving myself to you afresh. See, the biggest issue is if you are the kind of person, and listen, I can speak kind of real to this because when I look at my own heart, I'm more apt to not want to acknowledge my stuff than to acknowledge it. If you're the kind of person who's like, well, I am just not going there. Listen, God's already there. We're just simply agreeing with the Lord and saying, God, I got problems. And if you say I got problems, that's exactly why you believe in Jesus anyway. So in the beginning, this unconfessed sin is a weight in his life. But then look at what happens in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, when he kept it to himself, he had to deal with the weight of it, and he couldn't. But then he confessed it to the Lord, and the Lord what? Forgave him. So I don't know why we want to carry around what we can't handle. When God is like, look, just give it to me. I'll forgive you. I'll have mercy upon you. I've already finished it at the cross. Just come. Now, you notice that word selah, it pops up twice. There's a lot of discussion about what that word means. It literally in the Hebrew means uprising. And it was both probably a musical term of arrest and the idea of uprising. So the idea of worship. A reaction of worship to a statement. And I love that. Because notice it says, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then there's a pause. Like like the dramatic moment. Like, okay, my unconfessed sin is messing my life up. Deal, Like, sit with it. Boom. And then it goes on. And then I acknowledge my sin and you forgave my iniquity. And then, boom. Take a moment to take that in. See, God wants us to have a real, vibrant relationship with him. Now, look at what happens. Verse 6. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Listen, my friends, turn to Jesus today. Turn to Jesus today. Think about how this is going. Think about how it's going. Happy is the man. Blessed is the man who's been forgiven. And then he says, look, I would not confess my sin. And it was tapping my strength out. And then I came and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I acknowledge my sin and you forgave me. And then he says, listen, he says, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. He's like, because you forgive sin, everyone who's godly will pray when a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they may not come near him. He's saying, look, before things get so overwhelming, I'm going to pray. And he says, you are my hiding place. Jesus is real. Hey, 
everybody, Pastor Daniel here. There are two things that I love in this world. One is Jesus, you know that, and the second is coffee. There's nothing like a hot beverage to bring people together. We've all met people at coffee shops to have great conversation, to be able to spend time together in fellowship, and we love to drink coffee out of our special Jesus is Real coffee mugs. It's one of the ways we get the message out. And we want to bless and say thank you to the Jesus is Real supporters who help us get this program out and are helping us expand to new marketplaces that people can hear this message in other places. So Josh is going to come on with more information on how you can get this special limited edition Jesus is Real coffee mug. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. We are so very thankful for all of you that have supported Jesus is Real Radio. Every donation helps us continue and, as Pastor Daniel mentioned, expand the reach of Jesus is Real Radio. We would love to send you your very own Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug like Pastor Daniel mentioned. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more through the month of June, we will send you a Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug as a thank you. All you have to do is visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. There you can send your donation securely. And as a thank you, we'll send you a limited edition Jesus Is Real Radio coffee mug. Again, that's all available at JesusIsRealRadio.com. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire team at Jesus Is Real Radio, may God bless you.